And so we turn to God's word. Tim's going to read to us from Luke chapter 4. The reading today is from Luke 4, chapters 1 to 14. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor over these. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. This is the word of the Lord. I want to take us back to 2019. Sean and I had gone to Florence, and we're in the Academia, the gallery there that is so full of fantastic works of art. One of the greatest works, a sculpture by Michelangelo, the sculpture of David, was the highlight of my trip, which was part of a sabbatical, looking at the way in which spirituality and the creative arts were intimately connected. In this picture, you can see how that space was so full of people. And every now and then, you'd hear the voice over the loudspeakers. Silencio, per favor. Silence, s'il vous plaît. Silence, please. And it made me remember that we needed to have silence in order to encounter the real power of great works of art. If they are to be encounters that are full of meaning and significance, that will allow us to speak to us and to make transformations of us, to make discoveries, to be inspired by those words. And silence and ideally solitude are so important. As you can see from this picture, there wasn't a lot of that. But in time, as we stayed and lingered, the crowds did thin out and we were able to get closer to the sculpture. We were able to see this towering eight-foot figure, majestic, powerful, and to me it spoke of the way in which as the face of David looked out to the future, he could see 
a God who was there, a God who was not only with him, but a God who prepared a future for him. There's that sense of dependence on God, of confidence in spite of his youth. And as we know the story of David and Goliath, he overcame because he had that trust in the fact that God was with him. But I needed to have some silence and some solitude in, a, in order that I could appreciate the things about that awesome sculpture that, the th that was able to communicate to my heart. Now last Sunday, we heard how Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. The reason being that we know that the Father, his Father God, had something so special for him and had business to do with him in that place. Archbishop Rowan Williams, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, wrote that the journey into the desert, or the wilderness, that's the same word, this journey is a journey into a particular kind of spaciousness. And recently appointed Archbishop of York, Stephen Cottrell, has said that this is the paradox of the desert that Jesus experiences. The bare emptiness of the desert is also a place of expansive discovery. A place of expansive discovery. And so what I want to be thinking about this morning is how this environment was both a place of encounter but also one of discovery and reflect on the encounters and discoveries that Jesus makes. How the wilderness experiences themselves were fundamentally formational for the rest of his life and his ministry. How what he learned there were things that he put into practice and we see in the scriptures time and time again. Two marks of that environment, solitude and simplicity. In Luke 4, we read, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So he was on his own, yet in a very real sense he wasn't on his own. He was full of the Holy Spirit, in other words, overflowing with the life of God. And the Spirit led him into this environment of solitude and simplicity. Why? In order to dwell in the presence of God, without distraction. And to remember those words that he just heard at his baptism, You are my son whom I love, the one in whom my soul delights. This reminded me of a few weeks ago we heard from Joe Porter, one of our young people here at university, and he was sustained in all the challenges of being a student in the COVID 
situations by that sense of who he was, his identity, that he would take time to go into a part of his room where he could be quiet and remember who he was or whose he was, that he was a child of God. And that is so fundamental to what it means to live our life that reflects the nature of Jesus. But Jesus' encounter was not only with God, but also with the accuser, the tempter, the devil. And three times he hears that accusation or that temptation to doubt who he is, to doubt what his identity is. If you are the Son of God, then do this. If you are the Son of God, then that. If you are really the Son of God. And yet Jesus was able to overcome that temptation through speaking out God's word and recalling what he had learned. It is written, it is written, it is written, he says. And I've been wondering whether this was something of a discovery to Jesus, that the power of God's word was such that it could combat the temptations that were thrown upon him in his mind and enable him to become an overcomer. Jesus, we read in Hebrews, was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. For us, we still have those scriptures to draw on. And for me and for Sean, it has been a hugely demanding time over recent months, as I shared in a recent communication to the church. But the power of Scripture to encourage me has been huge. And also the power of the emails and cards and texts that many people from Christchurch have been sending me and has been a massive encouragement. And it helped me to remember that I'm part of this great family who are committed to loving one another and building one another up. And the verse that I've gone back to in the scriptures is in Hebrews 12. Those first verses where the writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, such a great family, such a great community of faith. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that, for me, has been able to combat the things that have been going through my head, the voices, the sense of, of foreboding that can so easily cram in and cause me to doubt. So Jesus' encounter in the wilderness was indeed a formational experience. This practice of solitude and silence 
became for him a, a habit, a holy habit, that he continued to practice. It was an essential part of Jesus' life. If you read just the next chapter in Luke, chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, he, the, the author Luke writes, reports of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness, to the quiet place, for prayer. He often did. He came part of his everyday life. Indeed, the 20th century theologian Henri Nguyen said, without solitude, it is impossible to live a spiritual life. So the question that this passage asks us is, does the Spirit long to lead us into a, a place of solitude and simplicity so that we might encounter the presence of God and learn to overcome temptations that disturb our minds and unsettle our peace? Are there ways of simplifying our lives that can deconstruct the clutter that accumulates so easily. We have in our church here uh, also constructed a, a wilderness scene that Barbara, Tuvia and Maggie Nichols have put together. And you know, I really don't like it. They've done a great job, but I really don't like it. It unsettles me. The reason being that there is so much stuff on it. All these papers, plastic bottles, plastic bags, bits everywhere. It's an inspired prayer station. But that's what life is like for so many, and for us all, myself included. So much clutter in places where we're meant to be, having time where we can be on our own and in a space where there is opportunity for encounter and discovery. For others who are watching, it may be that there is plenty of solitude in your life at the moment. Indeed, there's more than enough. How might that become a journey into a particular kind of spaciousness where loneliness becomes a presence-full experience. Where times of encounter and discovery become more a part of normal life. We need to ask, to what extent am I allowing the stuff of life to muddle my mind? and leave me feeling empty or, or getting fearful about things which really aren't that bad. What one thing could I do to simplify my life? It may be just not putting a television on and watching the news again. Maybe taking a walk where the flowers are beginning to blossom as we saw Paul outside this morning by the resurrection empty tomb. 
What a, a tremendous reminder spring is of those things that overcome the harshness of winter. Or to spend a whole minute just standing and listening to the bird song. The spiritual disciplines of solitude and simplicity were foundational to Jesus' inner well-being. Throughout his life, he practiced them. And of course, he was a person fully alive. The other and the third experience I want to touch on to conclude and the most obvious aspect of Jesus' wilderness experience was that of hunger, of course. Um, Luke 4, verse 2, says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and afterward he was hungry. <laughs> I love that understated way that, that Luke records this. Afterward he was hungry. 40 days. But of course, Jesus uh, made that choice intentionally not to eat. He was practicing the discipline of fasting. Presumably, the Holy Spirit had led him into this discipline too. He was a good Jew, had been brought up uh, in the practice of regular fasting. He knew it anyway. And through this practice in the wilderness, he discovered afresh the power of words. Words that would have been familiar to a young man brought up on the stories of his people's history. One such phrase from Deuteronomy, as we heard last week, man does not live by bread alone. Jesus had discovered in the desert that life was far more than eating and drinking and keeping our tired bodies going. Don't you think it's true that the world generally has been reminded in this pandemic that our lives are not just about our physical health, but rather the whole of our being, our mental, our emotional, our spiritual well-being are all vital as we seek to be fully alive as human beings. And we see this again in Jesus' teaching a little further on in Luke 12, where he says to those listening, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for life. Life in its fullness does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He goes on to say, now what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Jesus knew that what truly nourishes us is being fueled by God's Spirit and His Word as we give ourselves wholeheartedly to whatever he has called us to do and to be. Whether that's a parent or a teacher or a doctor or 
an engineer or a songwriter or whatever it might be, we surely would want to affirm that we are all hungry for purpose. What a difference it makes when we have a, a, a task before us that we feel motivated for and we feel is the right thing for us to be doing, whether it's in charity work or whether it's through a paid job. My food, that which sustains me, said Jesus, in Luke 4.34, is to do the work of him who sent me and to finish his work, to see it through to completion. It's that perspective when we see what we do is as God's working out his purposes for us in everyday life that really gives us that sense of yes in all that we're about. It is truly only the bread of heaven that can feed us till we want no more. And we can sing that even if great rugby victories cannot come every single time we play. So the discipline of fasting can help us to discover what is of real significance in life. For me, I've had to sort of think afresh about this because being diabetic, uh, fasting isn't really uh, the recommended thing to do. But there are other ways of fasting, other kinds of fasting uh, mentioned in the Bible, most notably, of course, in Isaiah 58, verse 6. Listen to what the prophet says to his people. God is speaking through him. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. God calls his people to fast from injustice. And of course it's obvious how this type of fasting fed Jesus' purpose in his dynamic ministry over the three years that would follow this experience in the wilderness. He taught it, he proclaimed it, and he embodied it in all that he did and all that he was. Food fasting can be a life-giving discipline, especially when combined with prayer. But so can fasting from social injustice, or indeed climate injustice, as we'll be thinking about next week in this series. So, this morning, we've seen how for Jesus, the loneliness and emptiness of the desert or the wilderness is also a place of encounter and discovery. And we've reflected how, uh, through the spiritual practices of solitude, and simplicity and fasting, Jesus learned to become more fully alive to the Father's love and to the seductions 
of the devil and his deceit. And that he put these disciplines into action in the living out of his everyday life. He practiced them, in, he taught them as he spoke to the crowds and as he mentored his disciples. And so we read at the end of this section from Luke 4, verse 14, that Jesus left the wilderness and returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. He'd entered the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit, we read, that he left it full of the power of the Holy Spirit. He had discovered in that place the things that had set the foundations for his future life. He knew his identity and his purpose. He had overcome all temptations to trust in other things than in God's word and God's ways. And he lived his life of love with that sense of confidence in this God who had been with him through those things and had enabled him to look to the future with faith. And his influence, his impact was immeasurable and still is. I would love to learn how to live that life. We can do it together. For the Holy Spirit will teach us Jesus' example will inspire us and the Father will continue to lead us into his love as we open ourselves to him, just to be with him, to be in his presence and to know his love.